0: Beginning in verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Paul seemed to know what he was talking about. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traders, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. If we could summarize some of the things that Paul has identified, and of course it doesn't, uh, each one would, each description, each word that he uses to describe people in the last days would be worthy of a study. But if we summarize what he's saying, there are several things about this that jump out at me. Paul is saying that in the last days, men shall be self-centered, intolerant, and loud. Now, that's not a new trick of the devil. He's always done that. The devil has always tried to shout down the truth. If he can get louder than the truth, then he can keep people from hearing the truth. But these verses mean more to me now than it did even five years ago. Who in the world, just five years ago, would have predicted The state of affairs today. I certainly didn't consider it. I mean I knew what the word said. I knew things would get worse and worse. And the iniquity would grow more and more. And the devil takes his final shots. Hardest. His hardest work is done in the last days. The Bible says. But notice how fast things are changing. There's got to be a reason for that folks. Now I have a confession to make. I am a. Life of God's supremacist. That means, at least for me, I'm a Word of God supremacist. Now, what that means is, my skin color doesn't matter and neither does yours. Everything we're seeing going on around us here recently... is staggering unless you see what the Bible says about how things are going to go. Have you noticed that Russia is not being talked about anymore? Now it's about Confederate statues or statues of Confederate generals and so forth. Folks, there's something that's really serious that's going on and it has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with intolerance. It has everything to do with revolution. Now, I want you to look with me to some scriptures. First of all, let's look to Acts chapter 17. The Bible has a lot to say about this stuff. And not many in the church that I'm aware of are too concerned about what the Bible does say. But because I'm a word of God supremacist, that's really about the only thing that matters to me in any of this. <clears throat> Paul is preaching on Mars Hill. We won't read the whole thing. But he makes reference to the fact that they had a, uh, an altar there on Areopagus that was had an inscription to the unknown God. Well, He tells them who the unknown God is. He tells them about the creator of the universe. And Paul says, as a part of his speech or ministry, In verse 26, Acts 17, 26, he says, And God is made of one blood all nations. This word nations is is ethnos. It means races. God made of all races of men, one blood all races of men, to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Now, there's two ways that you can look at this, and I think both of them are exactly right. We know that every race came from a single head, which was Adam and Eve. Everybody is descended from Adam and Eve, if the Bible is true, and of course it is. So what's the difference in races, if not just skin color? God made of one blood, everybody is a descendant of Adam and Eve. So we're all part of the human race. But there's another way to look at this, too, and that is God restored through the shed blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God reinstated the fact that all nations, all races are of one blood in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're of one blood with those that are unsaved, but we've got a mandate of what to do for those that are unsaved, and that is to teach them the truth and tell them about Jesus. Because through the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood, he has brought everybody back and restored us to our original position of authority in his name. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. It seems to me that people are ignoring the truth of the word in large part because most people don't think that the Bible has anything to say on these these particular subjects and racism and so forth. But it does. He's got a lot to say. You remember in Acts chapter 10, we won't talk about the whole thing. Peter has a vision and he sees a, a giant sheet let down from the heavens by the four corners and there's all kinds of manners of beasts, different animals and foods and different things like that, both unclean and clean, clean according to the law of Moses, unclean according to that same law. And a voice from heaven speaks to Peter and says, rise Peter, slay and eat. And he says, not so Lord, Nothing unclean has ever passed my lips. Well, this happens three times. And at the end of the third, the third occurrence of this vision, this trance that he falls in and has a vision, at the end of the third time, he doesn't know what it means. He doesn't know what's going on. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to him. By that time, the people from Cornelius' household, Cornelius had had a vision the day before, the people from Cornelius' household who had been told by the angel where to find Peter, arrive. And so the Lord speaks to him, the Holy Ghost speaks to Peter before he's figured out what the vision means yet. And he says, three men are downstairs seeking you, go with them, not asking any questions, nothing doubting. So when he gets to Cornelius' household, the next day I believe it is, he gets to Cornelius' household, he begins to speak to Cornelius and all of those that are gathered. And in verse 28, Acts chapter 10 verse 28, Peter has figured out, come to realize what the vision means by that time. Verse 28, he says, and he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So what's he saying? He's saying all races are equal. He's saying all races are equal, and God had to show him that in the vision three times for him to see it. And he still didn't get it. After the third time that he saw the vision, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know why God's talking to him about foods and breaking the law of Moses and eating foods and so forth. Sometime, we don't know how it happened exactly, but sometime between the time that he saw the vision and the next day when he gets to Cornelius's household and begins to preach to him, he's come to realize that God's not talking about food. He's talking about people. He's talking about people now there's another situation that i want to draw your attention to we won't go back and read the whole thing but you remember the story of jonah god speaks to jonah and says i want you to go to nineveh and preach to them that they might repent because if they don't repent their wickedness is going to bring destruction over them and it's going to be soon within 40 days so jonah starts running from god He winds up being in the belly of the fish, repents, says, all right, I'll go where you want me to go, God. The fish vomits him up on dry land. That's quite an interest into a city, by the way. I'm guessing that got around. So he goes into the city, and he he tells them exactly what God said. Within 40 days, your city will be destroyed if you don't repent. And the king calls for a national fast. Everybody fasts. Everybody repents. And God changes the judgment that was going to fall on them. Well, at that point, in Jonah's recounting the story or telling the story, Jonah gets mad. He gets mad with God. And he says, I knew this is what you were going to do. That's why I ran in the first place. See, Jonah wasn't trying to run from God forever. He's just trying to get away from him for 40 days. He said, but I knew what you would do. I knew you were merciful and that you were good and forgiving. And I knew that if I preached to these people, they would repent. And then you wouldn't destroy them. And I want them gone. Now, folks, why is this? Why did Jonah want this? God winds up showing him how that uh, his priorities are misplaced. He shows Jonah that he has more compassion and desires mercy on a, on a weed A quick growing weed or plant Much more so than he does the people But why did Jonah Want Nineveh to be destroyed Because they had done much damage and harm To the nation of Israel So I guess we could say That Jonah was a nationalist Are you out there? He wanted to make Israel great again true and folks you remember so many times in Jesus ministry people would come to him many times it was disciples asking the same question again and again they would ask are you going to restore the nation of Israel now we believe you're the one sent from God Jesus we believe you're the Messiah are you going to make Israel great again and Jesus every time directed them to what really mattered and that was what's on the inside Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? Pilate questioned him. The whole uh, attack or accusation that the Jews, the religious leaders made against Jesus was that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Well, anybody that claimed to be king or serve a king or or, uh, pledge allegiance to a king other than Caesar had to be put to death. Caesar wouldn't tolerate that. So Pilate asked him. He said, are you a king? And Jesus said, well, you say I am. He wouldn't say it himself. But finally in his conversation with Pilate, Jesus said this. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my followers would fight. Are you out there? If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight. My disciples would fight. But my kingdom is within Now, folks, there's a lot of people that are going to be fighting. A lot of people already are fighting. And that's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So we better know what we're fighting for. Or maybe even a better way to say that, we better know when to fight or who to fight. I think too often we get caught up in these things and everybody has an opinion. And everything about this present world is set up so that you can express your opinion. Thank God for Facebook. (laughs) Not only will we not know what you're having for dinner, (laughs) but we wouldn't know everything you thought about what's going on. And folks, the TV shows, the so-called news shows, have come to the place where you get two people Or maybe a group of people. Screaming at each other. And after the segment. Nothing is accomplished. We live in a day. Where we don't even know. If the topic that's being discussed. And argued about. And yelled at. Is even true. Know this. That in the last days. Perilous times shall come. Perilous time shall come. Turn with me to Matthew 24. Beginning in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Why is, why is this here? Jesus has been in the temple. He's grown up in the temple. He's been responsible to uh, present himself at the temple in Jerusalem every day all of his life. He's been there 30 times. Why are the disciples trying to show him the temple? It's not like Jesus is an out-of-towner, never having been there and needs a guide. They're trying to show him the temple. What does this mean? It's got to mean that they're trying to show him what they think is a representation of God. They're looking at the structures. They're looking at the history. They're looking at what an ungodly king, Herod, regional governor, I guess we could call him, has provided for the express purpose Of pacifying them. Well for them it worked. It got their eye off the ball. It got them to fail to recognize. Who the real enemy is. The temple. Herod's temple. Was a payoff. It was the use of money. To try to distract the people. From what God said was important. So, Jesus shows how impressed he is with Herod's buildings. He said unto them, See not ye all things, all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In other words, he says, These things are worthless. You're getting caught up with all the things and how they appear. These things are worthless. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They asked three questions. What are the signs of the end of the world? When are you coming? That's what we in the church would call the rapture, even though the word's not used in Scripture, the catching away. And what's the end of the age? They want to know about end time stuff. Well, Jesus tells them. He doesn't hold back. He tells them. Let's see what he said. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. I overlooked that part of the scripture and Jesus answered for a long, long time. One of the greatest things that will be in place in the last days is deception. Do you know how many people are fighting against Confederate general statues that have no idea what they're fighting about? I saw one of these things on Facebook, one of these picture memes or whatever they call them, that said something about these statues that were built by Democrats who now don't want to remember their history of the Ku Klux Klan, racial bigotry, and all that kind of stuff. They want to tear down the statues. Because it's Trump's fault. The Democrats built them. But it's Trump's fault. So you got people on the left that are fighting. You got people on the right that are fighting. And neither side realizes that they're fighting because the devil is prompting them to. Let's see what Jesus said about the last days, about the end times. Jesus said, take heed that no man shall deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and you shall deceive many. Let me ask you something. I want you to just think of it as just a human being, just the the way you understand things to be. If anybody shows up in any context or any situation, whether they do a miracle or a sign or a wonder or whatever, and says, I'm the Messiah, are you going to buy into that? Don't you already know enough about the Bible to know that Jesus has come and gone, made a place for us? Well, who in the church world wouldn't know that? Who in the church world would be sucked in by that? This has got to mean something more than the translation is showing us. Who are the many that are going to be deceived? The unsaved? Well, okay, but they're deceived already. That's nothing new. He's got to be talking to the disciples as representatives of the church. So what's going to deceive the church by what Jesus describes as some saying I'm the Christ? I believe that when he says some saying that I'm the Christ will deceive many, I believe he must be talking about, and you judge this for yourself, I don't have all the answers. But I I believe that he must be talking about people arising saying here's the way to God. Because that's what Christ is. Christ is the Messiah, the way to God. So if this means that the others will rise up and say, I'm the way to God and shall deceive many, well, Islam would fall into that category. Buddhism would fall into that category. Hinduism falls into that category. Now, that makes sense to me. I don't know if it does to you. And again, I don't say that I've got all the answers. But that's the only part of this that makes sense. And Jesus had to be telling us the truth. So what's he saying? Well he could be saying that the world would be in just the same shape and situation as we could know of it in our present day. You've got Islamic terrorists bombing anything and everything they can get their hands on or get close to. Declaring it as them. Shouting Allah Akbar. And the American news media says, well, we don't know why, what's behind this. It's probably Trump. <laughs> but we haven't, made a, we haven't found a way to tie that in together yet. Folks, there's never been a time where there was greater deception, national deception, presenting itself to the American people like it is today. Do you remember when journalists used to even pretend to be unbiased? I mean, they never were. But at least they pretended like they were. Nobody's even wanting to pretend that anymore. The question isn't whose side are they on. The question is, is the story they're talking about even true? Deception is being fed to the American people and and the church. Spoonful by spoonful. And it's up to you to make sure you know what the truth is. Jesus said, many shall come saying, I'm the Christ and shall deceive, shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, before the Charlottesville incident happened last week, remember the whole big deal was about North Korea. And how everybody wanted to impeach Trump because he's going to get us killed. He's going to start a nuclear war with North Korea. Remember? And then Charlottesville happened. And what's a tragedy in your estimation and mine becomes a gold mine for those that want to overthrow the country. Who was it that said early in the Obama administration, never let a good crisis go to waste? Yeah, I know. I just didn't want to say. <laughs> Jesus goes on to say, and let's read that again. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. See that you be not troubled. The word trouble is to be frightened. He says, don't be frightened. Folks, the Bible says, we've read it and looked at it several times over the last few weeks when we were talking about the subjects of righteousness. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, I would like, personal opinion, just, just me. I would like for America to go back to some of the things that I remember about it when I was growing up. I'd like for America to go back to some of this, the, the well, recognizing some of the foundation principles that we were built on. That'd be great. I would love that. I don't expect to see that. I think in some respects, things have gone too far. Those of you that are only concerned about the homosexual and transgender issue, that bell's already been rung. We're not going to be able to go back and turn that back. I think the same thing is true for some of the violence that's being perpetrated. And and please recognize how quickly these things happen. If there were not organizations and money behind this anti-fascism stuff, counter-protesting stuff, These things couldn't happen as quickly as they're happening. It means somebody's made this a part of the plan. I'm sure we could identify some of the players and some of the organizations involved. But the point is, it's going according to somebody's plan. Well, since Jesus said the devil, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it's got to be him that's behind it. But see, people don't know who the fight is with. People don't know who the real enemy is. Remember in Ephesians six twelve it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. We're seeing on display the operation of the rulers of the darkness of this world. And Paul said the way to fight that fight is to pray. Now, I know most people don't feel like they have the time to pray like they should. But I want to challenge you. Give up one hour on Facebook every day. If the church would do that, do you know how many millions of hours of prayer we'd have going on? Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I I enjoy seeing some of this stuff, and I'm not against Facebook, although you need to realize Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Google and all this other kind of stuff that's uh, a part of this present-day world of information, which is code for lies. I enjoy seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. I might even be guilty of going to the fair and posting a picture of my bacon-wrapped bacon. It's entertaining, you know. (laughs) But for me, it still comes down to truth. And the word of God is the only truth there is. Jesus said and finished talking. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of in these last days. God's on our side. If God's on our side... What shall we fear? Why shall we fear anything that man will do to us? Brother Hagen used to quote that scripture in Romans eight, where it says, If God be for me, who can be against me? He used to say it this way, If God be for me, who cares who's against me? You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come yet must come to pass. But the end is not yet. I want you to notice it must come to pass. There's a lot of things that our prayers are not going to change, and we need to realize that. We need to learn to pray effectively, not pray according to the way we want it to be. Now, that's a, I think that's an important point, especially in the day that we live in, because as I said before, there's a lot of things about the way America was when I was growing up. I'd like to see it go back to that. Well, it'd be real easy for me to pray that it would go back to that. But according to this, I'd be praying ineffectively. I don't know everything about how things are going to go. I know some things about how things are going to go, just like all of us who can read the Word do. But we're going to have to trust the Holy Ghost to give us help to pray for what we don't know to pray. I believe one of the great benefits, especially in the day that we live in, one of the great benefits of speaking in other tongues is that it precludes selfish praying. You can't pray in the Holy Ghost and pray selfishly because you're letting him give you direction on what to pray. Even if you don't know what it is. You have to pray. Every unction that the Holy Ghost gives you to pray is according to the will of God. So I think the church ought to major on praying in tongues in these last days. Be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He's going to start telling them about signs of his coming, signs of the end. He says, for nation shall rise against nation. This word nation is the word ethnos. It literally means for race shall rise against race. Race shall rise against race. Well, we certainly see that happening today. And kingdom against kingdom. Now, the word kingdom is the word royalty. Royalty. In Jesus' day, countries were governed, Countries or kingdoms were governed by kings, individuals. But that's not how it works in our day. Not in our country, at least. These royalties could just as easily mean political parties as kings. I want to make real clear that I'm not Promoting a political party. I'm not even saying that one political party is better than another. This last year has been a real eye-opener for me. To see what some of the people that I used to support really believe in what they've done. You know, we heard for seven years how that if we just put the Republicans back in power, they'd repeal, repeal Obamacare. Well, we found out that was a lie. There's been betrayal. For me, a greater betrayal by those that claim to be conservatives or at least Republicans than the left. I know what the left's going to do. They've signed on to the devil's plan and agenda. I'm not surprised by anything they do. But I sure have been surprised by some of the Republicans. Some of the ones that told me that if we just gave them the power, they'd roll the clock back. Now, this is not an essay or um, railing against Obamacare. I don't know whether you're for it or against it. One thing I do know, history tells us that one of the main components of revolutions that have taken place in the world in modern times have been to gain control of people's health care. So it's a tool the devil has used in every country that there's been any kind of takeover, Military or otherwise. I see it as just part of the devil's plan to control people. And I don't want the devil to have anything in place to control people. But we sure found out that some people weren't who they said they were. So he said, race shall rise against race, kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Let me read something to you about famines. No, I don't want Siri. Get out of here. Here's an article that that was uh, printed in the New York Times February the 22nd of this year. The title of the article is, Why 20 Million People Are on the Brink of Famine in a World of Plenty. Do you know that? Do you know 20 million people are threatened by famines now? I won't read the whole article. I just cut and pasted some of these things. Let me read it real quickly. In a world filled with excess food, 20 million people are on the brink of famine, including 1.4 million children at imminent risk of death. Each country facing famine is in war or, in the case of Somalia, recovering from decades of war. What is famine, the thing asks. Famine is a rare and specific state. I didn't know this is how they measured it. Famine is a rare and specific state. It is declared after three specific criteria are met. When one in five households in a certain area face extreme food shortages. The second one is more than 30% of the population is acutely malnourished. And the third is, and at least two people for every 10,000 die each day. Then it identifies the four places, uh, the four greatest famines that are going on in the world. Somalia, Somalia, South Sudan, northern Nigeria, and Yemen. So Jesus said there would be famines. What qualifies famines to be enough to count as end-time signs? I mean, 20 million people are at the edge of famine now. That doesn't affect us. We don't even see, see it on the news or hear much about it or that kind of stuff. Except the commercials that show you the, the kids, the starving kids, and want you to help them do good in that area. Some of the organizations are doing a great job from what I understand. Some of them, not so much. But that's about all we ever see. And those are primarily relegated to late-night TV commercials. But Jesus said that famines would be a part of the end-time signs. He said plagues would be part of the end time science. Let me read something to you about the history of plagues. There are four major plagues or the four biggest plagues were the Black Death from 1347 to 1351 in the 14th century. This plague took between 75 and 200 million people. That's how many people died as a result of this plague. In 1918, the Spanish flu killed 50 million people in six months. You remember the 2009 swine flu pandemic? That just killed 200,000 people. That's a lot of folks. But it doesn't even make the list. The AIDS epidemic... So far, has killed two hundred, has killed twenty five million people, and then in nineteen, in uh, not nineteen, in five forty one, rats on an Egyptian grain boat brought a pestilence to the Roman Empire that would kill approximately twenty five million people. Now, what is Jesus saying when he talks about the signs of the end? Is he saying that? In the last two years before I come back for the church, all these things are going to be packed up up tight together. Well, folks, I would submit to you, if that's the case, what's the point for the tribulation? Just kill a couple hundred million people with the black death. Kill another 25 million people through AIDS. Just let all these things compound one upon another. What would be the point of the tribulation? He can't be saying that. He cannot be saying, the closer and closer we get to the end, the more and more these things will be prevalent. He can't be saying that. If that were the case, as I said, all these things would be stacked up one on top of another in a short period of time so that when the tribulation began, people would just say, ho-hum, here we go again. That's not the description that the Bible makes of, of the tribulation period. The Bible speaks of the tribulation period bringing things of such devastation that everybody knows... Hey, the one we're following, the Antichrist we're following is not the one that can control this. Jesus said about earthquakes, he said earthquakes would be in diverse places. I randomly picked a couple of days from a site that that, uh, identifies and tracks earthquakes around the world. And just last week when I did the search, this week, just a couple of days ago, I picked two days at random, the day that I was doing the search and a day a couple of days before, and there were listed one on average, the average of those two days, were listed 151 earthquakes across the Earth. That means 151 different places that experienced an earthquake. I wonder if that qualifies for what Jesus is talking about. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. I'm reminded of the scripture where Paul said the whole earth is groaning and travailing. Seizing upon itself, one translation says. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth is looking forward to Jesus' return too. Again, verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The next thing that Jesus mentions after the list in verse 7, the next thing Jesus mentions is religious persecution. One of the signs of the end is religious persecution. He said, you'll be hated of all nations. That means every race of people will be against the church. Folks, we're already seeing some of that happen on a small scale, small compared to what it's going to be, I believe. This last election that even the Russians couldn't influence, Is the first time that I'm aware of losing people in the church over who won or lost. Now, if you were around here, I was cautioning people. I cautioned people for a long time. You better decide what you're going to do if Hillary wins because it looked to me like she was going to win. I never said, because it wasn't true, I never said God told me one way or the other. But I just didn't have any hope for for Trump winning. I thought the swamp was too deep. And so I was completely surprised. I expressed my surprise. I told you. Here's why I was saying what I said. And boy, am I glad I was wrong. I guess that proves I'm not a prophet. Never claimed to be one. Don't really want to be one, to be honest with you. But it's the first time I can remember ever losing anybody over politics. Now I realize I'm outspoken, at least compared to other pastors, I must be outspoken. <clears throat> not sure she, I'm not sure you should be clapping now. But from a biblical perspective, and remember, I am a Word of God supremacist. From a Bible perspective, you've got to have your eyes willfully shut to not see the devil's agenda in the Democrat Party. Now, if that's the way you want it, okay. Sorry with me. I'm not trying to persuade somebody to become a Republican. I'm not sure that's of much value anymore. But I don't remember ever losing anybody in church over politics in 31 years until this year. Now, folks, I've had people leave us for a number of other reasons. 99.9% of them being me. But I don't remember it ever being over politics. I'm not an activist. I'm not a political activist in any way whatsoever. We'll provide you information about things that are going on and bills that are coming before the California Congress or Senate, whatever it is, House of Representatives, whatever these people are called. Who knows? Who cares? (laughs) I guess if they were doing anything worthwhile, we'd know about them. But we'll make things known about certain issues and bills that are coming up. But we're never the ones trying to rah, rah, rah everybody out into the street. If you want to protest something, that's between you and God, not me. And everything that I've ever said, or at least everything I've ever intended to say, regarding politics has been to get people to pray. But I'm seeing more and more, and a lot of it is on social media, I'm seeing more and more Christians divide over the race issues rather than keep the Word of God first and foremost as our guide. I think that's a dangerous precedent for the church because we lose sight of who the enemy really is. Well, let me finish this. I'm taking too long on this. Let me finish this. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations. Races for my name's sake. And then, get this verse 10 and then shall many be offended. Folks, this is the offended generation. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Again, he's talking about divisions. But look at what's going on around us the thing that's driving. Most of the misinformation or outright lies in the mainstream media are things like these college campuses where these kids that are living on mom and daddy's dime are triggered because somebody tells them the truth. They can't stand to hear it. So they riot on the campuses. They vandalize property. Because they can't stand to hear somebody's opinion what they believe or why they believe it. Many shall be offended and shall betray one another. I think that's significant. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Remember, Paul wrote to Timothy and said um, people will depart from the faith, depart from sound doctrine, and having itching ears, looking for teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Now, he's talking about the church there. He's not talking about the world. That's all the more reason in my thinking that we need to stick with what the Bible says is true. Because when you get down to it, your opinion doesn't matter and neither does mine. The only thing that matters is the truth. So many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Interesting that he uses the word prophets instead of the word teachers. Prophets are generally associated with seeing things to come or predicting the future, revealing the future. If it's God, if it's a genuine prophet, he's revealing the future. He's not predicting anything. He's just revealing something God showed. I'm not sure if there's ever been a time in the history of our nation where people have been more concerned about the future than now. And as far as I'm concerned, and I would assume that you're in the same boat as I am in this case, that's because things seem to be coming unwrapped at the seams. And folks, remember, the devil wants to control people. He doesn't care what politics will do that, what policies will do that, which leader will do that. He did not care about any of that. He just wants to control people he's the enemy the kingdom of darkness is the enemy that's what's at work not race relations it's about destroying the foundation of this country and folks it's a pretty short step from going to these statues that people are offended by which I don't I've got to tell you something here this is just me but I don't believe that any of these people saw these statues for any period of time whatsoever and were offended by them. I saw one uh, former sports star quote uh, have something to say about this. He said, I'm 54 years old and I've never spent one day looking at any statues. He's a black guy. So the outrage that we're seeing and hearing about It's got to be about something else. It's got to be about something else. There's got to be something behind it. Well, now we're starting to hear a smattering of people saying, well, we need to do away with the Washington Monument and the Jefferson Memorial. Those guys were slave owners, which means they were racist, which means they couldn't have done anything good. Well, if we do that, if we accept that premise, then what's to keep the next small step from being taken to say, Well, if they're not good enough to be a part of our history, why should we pay attention to the documents that they authored? Then we'll really be getting to the heart of the matter. It's about destroying the foundation of this country. Because whether the left wants to admit it or not, this country was founded on godly and biblical principles. Those are the ones I'd like to get back to. I'm not sure we can. I'd love it if we could, but I've got to prepare for us not being able to. It's about destroying the country, folks. It's about somebody being able to tell you what you can say, what you can't say, what you can do, and what you can't do. It's about giving power to the government at the expense of individual liberty. It's a revolution. And the news media is promoting it big time. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 12 is really the one that I wanted to get to of all the other ones that we've read. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This word iniquity is the word lawlessness. And notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying people will change their positions relative to love. Now, when when he talks about love, he's got to be talking about the love of God. He's got to be talking about our care and our concern for one another. He's got to be talking about our care and concern for the lost. And he says these things will cause many, the love of many, to wax cold. In other words, to come to the place where Jonah was with, concerning Nineveh. He didn't want to preach to Nineveh because he didn't want them to repent and be saved. And notice what brings that about. The Bible identifies it as Lawlessness. Now, I'm going to have to use my own personal opinion here to to make an illustration. And I know I'm not alone in this, but I'm not saying I'm right in this. Isn't it frustrating that nobody's been prosecuted for the felonies that we know that they've committed? Why in the world is Hillary Clinton not in jail? Why in the world, with the the things that have been proven and shown that took place with the Fast and Furious operation during the Obama administration, why is Eric Holder not in jail? Why are people that have given out classified information that 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 who's it, that information that is a threat to our national security, why are they not in jail? Why is nobody prosecuting James Comey for leaking? classified information why isn't some of this stuff being done there's no question if they did it or not they know they did it james james comey when he left the fbi took classified documents with him that's a felony that's treason why is nobody doing anything about this you know what it does it makes you get disheartened it influences you toward the place where you say well if nobody's gonna have to pay the price over this stuff what's the point But be careful because the Bible said Jesus said that was a work of the enemy too. Is any of this making any sense? Folks, the point is very simply this. We have a real enemy that's doing real things in this real world. That we can only defeat or withstand. Through prayer. I'm going to go with. Um, go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And read some things Paul said about the end. <clears throat> the record that we have in the book of Acts. Indicates to us that Paul spent. Less than three months. In the city of Thessalonica. And the things that Paul says. That he told them while he was there. In those three months. Just three months. Now think about that. You're starting a new church. Of all the things that you need to tell new converts about and get them established in the word, tell them about Jesus and who they are in Christ and what Jesus did for us. Paul spent some time, seems to me a lot of time, talking to him about the return of Jesus. It seemed to be pretty high on Paul's priority list. I don't know if we could go so far as to say this, but it's possible. That Paul in no way, and judging from his writings, it seems obvious to me, but you judge for yourself. I just don't think there was any way Paul thought this thing would go 2,000 years past him. He speaks of Jesus coming like it could be tomorrow. And that was 2,000 years ago. Well, verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus. That's the rapture. And by our gathering together unto him. He's talking about being caught up in the air. That you be not soon shaken in mind. Or be troubled. Neither by spirit nor by word. Nor by letter as from us. That the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is not the rapture. The day of Christ is when Jesus comes back. In judgment on the earth. And Paul is saying. That there was some. Pretty severe disinformation. Fake news going on in his day. People would write letters. Or send word saying Paul told me to tell you this or this letter is from Paul himself that contradicted the truth that he had taught them. Apparently some of those uh, some of that information or some of that uh, message. Had to do with. Trying to convince. The church in Thessalonica, which you, you certainly you understand that's the devil that's behind this, right? So, what is the devil doing? The devil's trying to tell them that the rapture has already come and gone, and the only thing to look forward to at this point is the judgment day of Christ. The implication is you missed the rapture. Paul's saying it doesn't matter if anybody writes to you and says this is from me, I'm never going to tell you something that's contrary to the truth. So, there's some pretty severe fake news operations going on in his day, too. Verse 3 says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, that day meaning the day of Christ, the judgment day, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed in the son of perdition, talking about the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Nothing's changed. Truth I told you then still the truth today. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth or hindereth will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, what Paul is saying is very simply this. There's something, there's a force at work or present in the earth that's keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. What is that? Well, what is it that's going to be taken away? The church. When Jesus comes back for the church, then that which hinders the Antichrist from being revealed... will be removed so that the antichrist can show himself as the world leader that he will eventually become. This scripture amazes me because it's talking about a church that you and I know in great part. I don't want to oversell the the point, but in great part, the church is ineffective in the world today especially compared to what Jesus said we ought to be doing. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do because I going to my Father. Thank God there are places in the earth that believe in the word and believe in the work of the Holy Spirit and have signs and wonders and miracles and are reaching people and doing good things. But percentage-wise, with the work of the church throughout the world, that seems to me to be a pretty low number. And yet Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost We, the church Is what's holding back The Antichrist from being revealed Satan's finest work His finest hour His greatest influence upon the earth Can't happen while we're here Because of what's in you It certainly can't be because we're smart It certainly can't be because we're full of power or exercising the power we have. Well, then why is it that way? Because of who we are. Now, remember, I'm a life of God supremacist. But here's why I am. Because as ineffective as the church might be and compared to what Jesus said we should be, As much infighting and opposition there is between church groups and denominations and charismatics versus denominationalists and so forth. With all the stuff that we've got going on, all the petty fighting within the body of Christ, we're still powerful enough to stop Satan's finest work. Our presence, he didn't say because we're praying, he said because you're here. Our presence is enough to stop the devil's finest work. Folks, keep your eye on the ball. Remember who the real enemy is. The real enemy is the devil. And he doesn't care what political party he uses. He doesn't care what right-wing or left-wing group he uses. He doesn't care what it takes. Anybody that will sign on for his agenda and accept his influence in their life, he'll use them. We've got to make sure that that that's not us. We've got to make sure that we don't get caught up in the racial stuff because it's not about races God has made us all one blood by the blood of Jesus restored us to one blood it's not about confederate general statues it's not even about Obamacare or policies that we could all agree or some of us at least could agree that might be good for our country it's about good versus evil It's about the devil versus the people of God. Well, what happens? Let's close with this. What happens if the devil's work continues, increases? What happens if there is a real revolution in our country so that the founding of our country, Declaration of Independence and the the Constitution are set aside For some greater purpose, truth, plan, policy, whatever. What happens? Well, it doesn't change the fact that God's living on the inside of us. It doesn't change the fact that the one that's on the inside of us is still greater than the devil's finest work. None of that does change nor should it change in your thinking. Who you are in Christ and what's available to you. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't say, unless the country falls into a deep condition of rebellion, he didn't say, unless there's a revolution in America. If that happens, you're on your own. That's not the plan of God. Remember, Jesus even said in the beginning of Matthew 24, He said, Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid of the wars you hear. Don't be afraid of the things that go on around you. Don't be afraid of signs in the heavens or signs in the earth. Don't be afraid of any of those things. Because God doesn't change. God won't be less with us if there's a revolution in our country than he is now. One thing I can take from what Jesus said is that the persecution of the church, you can write this down, this is a sure thing. This isn't my idea, judge for yourself or anything like that. This is a sure thing persecution against the church will increase. How is that going to affect you? I suggest that you prepare for it before it occurs. You remember the story in uh, Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar says, if you fall down and worship my image, then I won't throw you in the fiery furnace, but if you don't, I'll throw you in. Their answer is very interesting. They said immediately, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. If you do throw us in, God will deliver us. If you don't throw us in, we're still not worshiping your image. They had settled that beforehand. They didn't have to take counsel with one another. They didn't have to talk it over. They didn't have to consider, well, what about this or what about that? They immediately answered what they had prepared before. The choice is yours. You can throw us in the fiery furnace if you want to. God will deliver us. Or don't throw us in the fiery furnace. We're still not worshiping your statue. The ball's in your court. I think that's the way we ought to live our lives. I think we ought to live our lives directed by the Holy Ghost in such a way that he shows us, gives us us each a witness on the inside of things that are coming. He'll do that. I believe that kind of work of the Holy Ghost will be uh, amplified the further and further we go. Because we're going to need supernatural help to navigate this world. Thank God we've got it. But the more and more the Holy Ghost shows us things to come, And I'm not talking about just in church services or things like that. But I'm talking about in our daily lives. The more he shows us what to come. I believe the majority of the times the reason he does show us what to come. What is to come. Is so that we can prepare for it. If we become sensitive to that witness on the inside. Then we can be ready for anything and everything that comes. Some of the greatest moves of God. Related in the book of Acts. And throughout church history have come in times of persecution when the church was persecuted. Because that's a point where people have to really make a decision who they stand with. And God honors that kind of decision when you stand for him. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the privilege that we have to live in this wonderful country. We thank you, Father, for the spiritual foundation that we have. But most importantly, Lord, we thank you that the life of God lives within us. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Jesus said you were the helper. He said that you would bring us comfort. He said you'd counsel with us. He said you'd help us intercede and to pray. He said you'd be our strengthener and you'd be our standby. He also said you'd be our advocate, that you'd stand up for us and represent us. Holy Spirit, we rely on your help. We see what's happening in the world around us. We see the the work of the devil on both sides of the aisle, both political parties. We see people turning away from the truth and that which is good. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for our help, your help in our lives. We thank you for making a way for us To stand for Jesus. We thank you for being on our side. Father, we love you. We see your your hand at work to reveal the plans of the enemy. We pray for our president, Father, and those that are in positions of authority. That they would be influenced and strengthened with you, by you as they stand for that which is good and right we also pray father that you would reveal uncover and disclose the plans of the enemy so that people would clearly see what's right and what's wrong what's good and what's evil and father we ask that all those that have willingly signed on or accepted the devil's influence would come to ruin we ask you Holy Spirit to prompt us to pray to prompt us to pray the perfect will of the Father we thank you Lord that you chose us to live in these perilous times we're honored that you've chosen us to live in these most difficult of days when the work of the enemy shall increase but the work of God shall be seen even more clearly. Father, for us, it's just like it was when Moses stood before Pharaoh. When he threw his rod down and it turned into a snake, Pharaoh's Egyptians, Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. But Moses' serpent swallowed theirs up. We ask, therefore, Father, that the glory of God would swallow up the plans of the enemy so that people would clearly see and know the work of goodness through the sacrifice of Jesus as opposed to the devil's plan to kill and steal and destroy in Jesus name Amen